Hey there, welcome to Fleet FYIs, the weekly podcast by Utilimark that reveals how you can make the most of your data for Sperner fleet management. My name is Gretchen, and every week you'll hear from me and some of the industry's finest in candid conversations that will shed some light on not only two decades worth of data insights, but some of the industry's hottest talking points and key metric analysis with the aim to help you better understand your fleet from every angle. But before we begin, if this is the first time you've heard our show, thanks for stopping by. I'm so glad you decided to come along for the ride with us. But I've got a quick favor to ask you. Once you've finished today's episode, if you could take a few minutes to leave us a review on your favorite podcasting platform, we would really appreciate it. Give us a rating, five stars I hope, or tell us what you liked or leave us a comment or a question about what you've heard in today's episode. But if we haven't yet covered a topic that you're interested in hearing more about, let us know. We would be happy to go over it in detail in a later episode. If that sounds good to you, let's get back to the show. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the Fleet FYI's podcast. Before I get this episode off and running, I wanted to ask you all a question. Have you ever found a topic just so fascinating that you end up jumping headfirst into a total rabbit hole to learn as much as you can? A little bit less Alice in Wonderland style, but I think you know what I mean. That's somewhat similar to how I've been in these last few days. So unless you're under a rock or, you know, if you haven't listened to the Bleed FYI's podcast before, which if you haven't, welcome. I'm glad to have you here. You'll notice we've been focusing a ton on electrification. And that's electrification of fleets, new vehicle launches, company pilots, and even digging a bit more into the sustainability of this technology, as well as battery composition. Now, it's been a lot of information, but it certainly seems as though this is the way that the industry is heading. And I can't even begin to tell you just how many times that I've been hearing electric vehicles are the future or plug-in hybrids and EVs are the next big thing. And it's for good reason. So carbon neutrality and low emission pledges are something that you'll see more and more companies announcing left, right, and center. And this comes as we're seeing climate movements scale to new heights, bringing everyday consumers to make much more sustainable choices in their lives. And that also includes what they use to fuel their vehicles and to get them from A to B. So like I said, Everyone is talking about EVs and sustainable technology right now, and there's so much you can do in terms of sustainability that automotive companies and their engineers are just starting to scratch the surface of. Now, you can't force new technology, (laughs) or new products for that matter, on end users, and the reason is, is because that breeds room for pushback. So instead, you need to provide for them an opportunity to take a chance on the vehicle or new technology themselves and then create a chance for each end user to be an instrument of change. This, I think, is going to be the key for sustainability movements in the future, especially as electrification is taking on a new stride. And, you know, if you've been anywhere near this podcast or even just involved in fleet or automotive, you know there's some push and pull with this electrification movement, especially depending on the region and the industry you're in. But it pegs the question, though, where exactly does this leave internal combustion engine vehicles? Does it leave them behind in the dust? This is where things are beginning to get a bit interesting. So what's then next for internal combustion engines? And that's one thing that 
I've been really interested in looking into because I think this bit is where we're going to start to get the heritage car lovers or even the heavy-duty construction fleet's ears cocking because it's thought that this could be the internal combustion engine vehicle's answer to electrification. Now, granted, it may still be years away, which is a little bit unfortunate, but it's at least a start, right? The answer, what some are thinking, is e-fuel. Now, you might wonder exactly what this is, how it works, why it's making news, etc., etc. And I actually think that it's quite a fascinating solution when it comes to looking into how internal combustion engines can be made more sustainable. So the key point that many who stand behind e-fuel make is that the technology of the internal combustion engine isn't what's non-sustainable. In fact, it's actually just the type of fuel being burnt to create the energy. So the thought enters center stage, why not create a more sustainable fuel? Because when you think about it in the long haul, that would actually just be more simple in theory than creating an entirely new type of engine that could burn petroleum more sustainably. And that's the traditional petrol that we're speaking of, traditional gasoline, traditional diesel, making that more sustainable. That may not be feasible in the coming years or even coming decades, though I'm not sure if, you know, that could even be possible ever. Um, I guess we'll see on that one. But technically speaking, fossil fuels still are considered a non-renewable resource. So anyways, I digress. Moving on to the next piece. You know, my point is is that e-fuel could be an interesting way to retain internal combustion vehicles as a core part of vehicle offerings available without the nasty pollution, because no one loves that. Let's be honest here. And it's not just the manufacturers in the U.S. that are looking into what they call synthetic fuels. In fact, many countries in the EU and in the UK are leading the charge. So not too long ago, an interview was done with an organization representing the fuel refining industry in Europe, and they actually issued a plea to politicians and to car makers, or I should say vehicle or automotive manufacturers, the like, to take synthetic fuel seriously because they could help the world to meet its climate targets in a very substantial way. They stated that the CO2 reductions that it could bring by 2035 and even moving forward are the equivalent of replacing 50 million internal combustion cars with battery electric vehicles or battery powered electric vehicles. Some might call them BEVs. Bosch, who is headquartered in Germany, also joined the conversation by adding that 2.8 gigatons of CO2 could be saved slash removed from the atmosphere by 2050 if synthetic fuels are widely adopted which is kind of an interesting thought. But the beauty of this new fuel is seen more so not just in the fact that it simply exists, but more in its method of production. And in my opinion, this is actually the piece that makes me the most excited to see this initiative come to fruition. The true sustainable magic is shown when we delve into how this e-fuel is created, especially because of its said-to-be carbon-neutral nature. So, in short, the idea behind creating this e-fuel is that companies producing it will be able to take in and eliminate as high amount of CO2 as the vehicles using the fuel will actually burn. So, let's make this short story a bit longer here. 
Here's my understanding as to how this e-fuel is produced. Now, granted, I'm not a scientist nor an engineer when it comes to this, so this is going to be very high level and based on a few weeks' worth of research. But here's a general idea of what exactly makes it so special. So firstly, it's composed of two main molecules, hydrogen and CO2. And the manufacturing process itself actually captures CO2 as the synthetic fuel is made, which has the potential to make huge leaps towards climate goals for the future like we said previously. And it's said that for these climate goals to be reached, CO2 emissions from traffic and other pollution sources will need to be reduced by roughly about 50% over the next four decades. If we can do so even higher, that would be great. And synthetic fuels actually entering the mainstream production has the potential to get us there. It's said that the production of this synthetic fuel will rely on pulling hydrogen out of water and also on large walls of fans and filtration systems that would be used to pull the CO2 out of the air. So filtering the air as it comes through the fans and collecting the CO2 as it goes. So because of this, greenhouse gas actually becomes a raw material, which everyone's producing anyways, whether it's from, um, you know, landfills with methane production or any other industry that produces emissions. And this raw material now from which gasoline and diesel and substitute natural gas can be produced with the help of electricity from renewable energy sources, which is kind of exciting if you think about it. Now, if you think about every type of vehicle or industry that has noted that electrification could be difficult or even too far to plan for now, I mean, this could be a total game changer. And like I said, so you're thinking heavy construction, trains, planes, cruise liners, the whole lot, even sometimes storm response teams. This could mean a huge overhaul for the transportation industry, especially because the thought is that the engine technology to continue to burn this synthetic fuel shouldn't need to change. You shouldn't need a whole new vehicle. You shouldn't need a whole new engine. In theory, because it's thought that the way this fuel is burnt is the same way that your standard gasoline is burnt. Another standout advantage of the combustion engine using synthetic fuels is that the existing fill-in station network can still continue to be used. And the same can be said for existing combustion engine expertise. So even though it's thought that electric cars will become significantly less expensive in the years ahead as wider scale adoption occurs, the development of these fuels still provides an interesting opportunity to make the internal combustion engine much more sustainable, which I think it's going to need to be because if you have some companies that are actually banning the production or banning the sale of fully internal combustion or fully petrol-based um, vehicles past 2030, I think in the EU it might be something around 2035, if I'm not mistaken, you're going to have to find a way to still appeal to the customers that still have those cars and still wish to drive them. Or maybe it's even a heritage or luxury car collector that aren't electric or can't manage without some sort of internal combustion feature. Because truly, I think that a vast portion of the true sustainability of this type of fuel, the synthetic fuel, it'll come from the refineries in which it's produced. And when we're speaking about sustainability of the internal combustion engine, and I feel like I've said that word a ton in this episode, which I've still got some more in me, so just you wait. I think when we're looking at trying to create a sustainable internal combustion engine, there it is again, what we really need to focus on is the components of the fuel and how it's produced. So, for example, taking power from the traditional electric grid or from burning coal, it doesn't exactly make for clean energy. 
I mean, you could probably assume that no, no matter how much you know about it. However, if you're refining this synthetic fuel in a truly sustainable refinery, for example, something that's completely solar-powered or wind-powered or maybe even hydro-powered, then your aim of achieving a renewable energy source is much easier to achieve. But with every innovative technology, as I'm sure you've assumed, there will always, always, always be a level of pushback. Arguments against battery-powered electric vehicles, like I said, otherwise known as BEVs, usually end up with the argument arising that hydrogen is the real eco-friendly alternative to fossil fuel. It couldn't possibly be electricity. Those who aren't so keen on EVs have a new target when it comes to opposing the battery-powered vehicle, which is synthetic fuels, as we've been speaking of. And these can be an interesting choice, especially for those that aren't as big a fan of changing over to a new type of technology. So why? In theory, they can be used with current internal combustion engines and refueling infrastructure like I'd previously mentioned. However, the naysayers do have a theory that e-fuels are less likely to solve our climate issues even more than hydrogen, and I think we should probably break it down a bit from there because there's a lot of potential advantages to this synthetic e-fuel initiative, but there's also a lot of drawbacks. So the first being synthetic fuels, they're not new, not in the slightest, but they've recently resurfaced as a potential solution to make the internal combustion engine much more sustainable after the head of research and development at Porsche, his name is Dr. Michael Steiner, claimed that e-fuel could allow the automotive company to continue to sell internal combustion vehicles alongside their current and future EV offerings. Now, this is especially interesting in markets like the UK and the EU, as they're currently posed to be eliminating the production of internal combustion vehicles in favor of EVs beginning in 2030, respectively. I think the UK is first in that respect, less than 10 years away. So they've been currently developing this new fuel initiative in a refinery in Chile. Porsche, that is. And it could be interesting for the argument that these fully sustainable refineries may not be able to exist in all regions of the world, especially if you want to keep them, like I said, truly sustainable. But the question is, is is a reduction of nearly 85% of internal combustion emissions worth the initial higher price of this new e-fuel? Some may say they're not ready to make the switch, and you might agree once you actually hear the pricing scope, but we'll get to that in a second. Though the argument for synthetic fuels has grounds, especially when it comes to allowing drivers to continue using their same vehicles without modification, as well as no change to the refueling process and current infrastructure that's already available, you can start to see where people would like to buy in, right? It seems like a pretty easy switch, especially when you consider that e-fuel is already, or not e-fuel, sorry, ethanol has already been actually introduced into the fuel world quite recently, now recently being within the last couple decades, but there's still a way to incorporate these alternative fuels that aren't just petrol-based. But here's where things start to get a little bit tricky. Main electric vehicle vendors like Tesla and Volkswagen and Renault and Kia Hyundai aren't taking the approach of artificially limiting their vehicle offerings abilities. Now, it's at this point where we take into account that not even Steiner is expecting synthetic fuels to make battery-powered electric vehicles irrelevant, 
but instead I think it will allow Porsche and automotive companies and the like to start selling specialist model vehicles vehicles, for example, like the 911 GT3. Um, This is one that if um, you read some of their latest news, which you can see it on Car and Driver, you can see it from Porsche themselves and pretty much on any news outlet possible, that they're creating this new vehicle to really test drive their e-fuel initiative. So one of the constraints of this e-fuel initiative is actually time, especially if we're looking at it for a mass market production rather than just a specialized vehicle for one part of a vehicle offering line from one automotive manufacturer. And this time frame currently proposed actually could make it more difficult for, to scale for mass adoption of this e-fuel initiative. So for example, the first trial output from their refinery in Chile, Porsche again, will not be until 2022 with a production run only going to be about 55 million liters by 2024, which when you think about it, especially when you calculate it into gallons, um, I don't have that number right off the top of my head here, but it's significantly less. And then they're looking at about half a billion liters by 2026. So a decent jump, but still it's on the lower end. But let's put this into perspective, shall we? So Let's look at it from a global lens and compare to the main markets that we've previously mentioned in this show, the U.S. and the U.K. And I mentioned the U.K. just because they have they've been making a lot of news with their huge sustainability efforts, especially when they're saying that now anywhere in the U.K. you're no longer um, more than I think it, the number is about 34 miles, if I'm not mistaken, 34 miles from an EV charge point. So it's a pretty well-rounded electrification infrastructure in place there. The U.S. on average is probably consuming about 125 billion gallons of gasoline in a year, with 2020 showing no different. Last year, the U.S. consumed roughly 123.5 billion gallons of finished motor gasoline. Translated into liters, it's just under 470 billion. Now, comparing this with the U.K., the U.K. consumes about 45 to 50 billion liters of fossil fuel per year. So it's a pretty stark difference, if you ask me. But a lot of this has to do with country size and population density and size and multiple other factors. So when you look at the output of this Chilean plant that Porsche will be sourcing their e-fuel from, their current production output is roughly about a tenth of a percent of what the U.S. alone would consume by 2026. It's currently low volume, which in part can be due to just the pilot testing initially, would need to be much more highly scalable to be an effective, sustainable solution, which I'm sure you can assume, because if they don't have any e-fuel, then the initiative really doesn't go anywhere. So it needs to be produced on a higher scale. But like any initiative, the transition wouldn't happen overnight, nor would you expect it to, really. Almost kind of like what's happened with this ethanol integration to mainstream use, the e-fuel alliance has actually stated that they see a a synthetic admixture to conventional fossil fuels rather than just an immediate switchover. So it's almost kind of like you're dipping your toes in before you jump in with two feet, similar to the hybrid model for uh, vehicles now before transitioning to a fully electric just to see if you like the technology or, you know, if it works for you and your lifestyle. So this can ease the pressure of the initial low volume output, especially as production will jump in the coming years. And it's expected to be at about a 4% admixture by 2025, 12% by 2030, and finally up to 100% by 2050. So we're looking at a little while down the line for full adoption, but it'll be interesting to see, I think, nonetheless. However, many are saying that this could be a little bit too late for current climate protection goals, especially when you factor in pricing for wide-scale adoption. 
Right now, the eFuel Alliance projects that 2050 will be between $1.63 to $2.64 per liter, which is about $1.38 to $2.24 in euro. And Bosch actually thinks that it'll take on this pricing by 2030, which is a pretty big jump. However, more realistic estimates are claiming that it'll be around the $3.54 to $4.72 per liter, which translated to a by-gallon price equates to about $13 to $14 per gallon. So, hmm, <laughs> at that price, no thanks. <laughs> That's a bit much for now, and we all know that it's a hard sell, especially when you have people cringing like me at $2.50 per gallon. Yikes. You'll probably see people go through um, to the EV route or stick to traditional gasoline rather than switching over if the pricing stays that high, in my opinion. Does anyone else sense an elephant in the room, or is it just me? The true question is, just how efficient is this new e-fuel when compared to the battery of an electric vehicle? So when we're looking at the production of e-fuel, we are seeing the combining of hydrogen and CO2. You then go into manufacturing the fuel subtypes, so think gasoline or petrol, uh, kerosene or diesel, and it's a multi-stage process and one that adds multiple layers of cost and actually of energy consumption as well. So if we take a peek at e-fuel's key element, which is in fact hydrogen, it leads to questions initially provoked by looking at hydrogen fuel cells. A hydrogen fuel cell is an electrochemical cell that converts the chemical energy of hydrogen and an oxidizing agent into electricity through a pair of redox reactions. But the trouble here is that hydrogen loses a lot of its power during the process of production. According to Transport and Environment, hydrogen fuel cells are actually 2.3 times less energy efficient than batteries, with the deficit dropping to about two times less efficient by 2050 as technologies continue to evolve and get better with time, especially when we're looking at EV batteries and this new Ultimum technology coming out from GM. And synthetic fuels are actually said to be less efficient still, which in my mind, it's a little bit surprising, and the estimate is actually about four times worse than batteries and very little improvement is projected to be seen by 2050. So putting it plainly, powering the current electric, or not the electric car fleet, but just the current car fleet with synthetic fuels instead of batteries will actually require about four times as much electricity generation. So we're looking at this as a whole. It seems a bit impractical, if you ask me. Now, there's also in the hope, and this is also in the hope and the assumption that the e-fuel being made is produced at renewable refineries, like I previous, previously mentioned a fuel time, so solar-powered, hydro-powered, wind-powered, which right now it's only at about 1% of e-fuels being produced in this way. Otherwise, it's not necessarily as green a fuel as you'd think. Actually, right now, it's not even considered a green fuel at all. Some say that it's the oil and gas industry trying to keep up with the more sustainable demands of customers as environmental concerns stay top of mind for many. Potentially, it's a relevance question, but I digress. That's not my call to make. So when you compile everything together, there are some that say that e-fuel will become a mass scale adoption initiative too late. And right now it's looking like e-fuels will provide about an 85% reduction in total internal combustion engine CO2 emissions. Whereas you also have electric vehicles that will take a large portion of the sustainable transportation market, which can eliminate CO2 vehicle emissions completely. So which technology will come out on top? 
Or do you see these two technology options as something that will work in tandem until each price point is accessible for every the everyday consumer or a fleet's looking for a more sustainable option? Tell me what you think. I'd love to hear your thoughts on LinkedIn. Just make sure you use the hashtag Utilimark Fleet FYI so I can find it because I'm fascinated by this conversation and I'm really interested to see how far it'll go and how quickly. So until next time, I'll be back in your headphones next Thursday. I will see you there. Bye. Hey there, I think this is the time that I should cue the virtual high five because you've just finished listening to another episode of the Fleet FYI's podcast. If you're already wanting more content, head over to utilimark.com, which is utilimark with a C, U-T-I-L-I-M-A-R-C.com for the show notes and extra insights coming straight from our analysts to you. That's all from me this week. So until next time, I'll catch you later. Later.